Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 185 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracle. Jacob. What's up? Put something positive in my brain right now. Tell me something great. Uh, the Batman was pretty awesome. Okay. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, it's a it's some of the three hour movie that doesn't feel another three, three hour. hour movie. That's just the standard now, which means eventually they're going to be putting out four hour movies. Don't, don't my tailbone cannot yeah, handle. Do this. not tempt them uh, with that idea because I'm sure that they'd be like, "Well, you would get them four. We can keep them longer and get more concessions." I have to uh, watch that. Is it called Drive My Car? Or it's one of the Oscar nominees for Best Film. Oh, the the Japanese one? Yeah, but it's three hours. Oh, is it? Oof. I know, right? I, only I have, mean, I got to watch it. I only got time for so many three-hour movies, and I already burned one of those slots. Remember so. The Irishman? I, <laughs> I feel like that only worked because of quarantine times. We were like, well, we're home. Yeah, I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> so I guess I'll do Literally this. stopped five times in this movie. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go take a four-hour nap. I'm going to go do some yoga. Um, <laughs> but in a, in a good thing i'll say because you know there's always a lot of of negative things rolling around in there but march is women's history month that's always good dedicated to the study observance and celebration of the vital role of women in american history we've gotten absolutely nowhere by the way (laughs) over 200 years we still don't have any idea what's going on (laughs) it's really sad (laughs) but true here's some um some trivia for you so this is for everyone. You can bust these nuggets out at your next gathering. Women's History Month was established in 1987 mm, after spending the previous five years as Women's History Week. But between 1988 and 1994, Congress passed additional resolutions extending the designation. And since then, the president has issued annual proclamations. So, I mean, basically the whole thing has to be like officially re-upped every year. <coughs> We're like, oh, women are still here? Yeah. All Col- right. Give them something else. Color me surprised. It's still a thing at this point. Next year they'll be like, we've decided the official color for March is pink. And we're like, this is never what we're asking for. I no, hate you no. all. And the cancer people are going to be like, what are you doing? The pink's our color. It's going to be a whole thing. Ugh, we, don't, we don't need this kind of aggravation this time. We don't. It's a lot. But uh, we do always like to celebrate the month. And so this time around, we've picked books to talk about that were published within the last 10 years that are either histories or biographies of some important women, um, and they kind of dig deep into the topic. Which, that's what you want when you get one of these nonfiction books, because you want oh, these yeah. actual stories, you want to actually get into it. You don't want this surface level, like, why, am I even, why am I even doing this? It's so the time? good now. Well, it's got to be. You can't really screw around. I mean, around that's when it comes really to true. You're like, you better read like fiction. You better pick a person who's so darn interesting that mm-hmm. I can't put it down. There better be a Tiger King s twist about or twist about four oh, chapters God. into this book, or but else I, we're ch- we're tuning out. I would say that these books really are. We've got some really interesting stuff. So let's hop right into it. First book I want to talk about is called Madame Fourcade's Secret War: The Daring Young Woman Who Led France's Largest Spy Network Against Hitler hmm. by Lynn. Olson. All right. So it's kind of wild. So we're, we're in 1941 here. We've got a 31-year-old French woman. She is a young mother born to privilege and known for her beauty and glamour. She's a real she-she lady. Mm. And she became the leader of a vast intelligence organization, the only woman to serve as kind of like the chef de résence, we'll say, during the war. She was strong-willed, independent, and a lifelong rebel against her country's really conservative uh, patriarchal society. And she was 
she was pretty much just made for this job. Her group's name that she created was Alliance, um, but the Gestapo dubbed it uh, Noah's Ark no. because all of the agents in it used animal names as their aliases. So um, the name that Marie Mendelin chose for herself was Hedgehog, oh. which is a tough little animal, unthreatening in appearance, um, and as a colleague of hers put it, even a lion would hesitate to bite. See, they got those great <laughs> reasons like behind it. Nowadays, when they come up with those nicknames or call signs, it's always some real stupid reason. Yeah, Hedgehog's awesome. So no other French spy network lasted as long or supplied as much crucial intelligence, including providing American and British military commanders with a 55-foot-long map of the beaches and roads on which the Allies would land on D-Day. Oh, that's, okay, so, that was important. Yeah, so no one did supplied more intelligence as Alliance did. The Gestapo pursued them relentlessly, capturing, torturing, and executing hundreds of its 3,000 agents, um, including Forcade's own lover and many of her key spies. And although she was the mother of two young children, she moved her headquarters every few weeks, constantly changing the color of her hair, her mm. clothing, her identity. She was captured twice by the Nazis. Both times she managed to escape. Once by slipping naked through the bars of her jail cell. Nice. Baller. Well done. And continued to hold her network together even as it was repeatedly threatened to crumble around her. Um, so the author, Lynn Olson, tells this fascinating story of a woman who stood up for her nation, her fellow citizens, and herself. And I'd never heard of this person. No, we have surprised that that hasn't been like a movie. That seems like an Alicia Vikander is like on oh, a platter man, for her to play that kind of Oh that is an amazing choice. Yes. Oh. So to check out Madame Fourcade's Secret War. Um, this, is, this is an awesome book for an awesome lady here. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good start we got going on there. Oh yeah, love me some spies. All right, well, I guess. Mm, all right, so, so I guess we're just gonna go ahead and go with more depressing stuff okay from. okay great let's go back to uh good old world war ii because that's a happy time oh, we, we, just, we were just there <laughs> yeah so let's go with the uh 2020 book 999 the extraordinary young women of the first official jewish transport to auschwitz oh. so you know it's not gonna have nobody's gonna have a good time in <sighs> okay this so this is a story of uh one day nearly a thousand young unmarried jewish women uh board a train in poprad slovakia okay and when they're getting on this train they are thinking that okay we're going to go work for the government sure our country was just taken over by the nazis but it can't really be that bad right like they're still asking us to go to work they're, they were so confident in the fact they were gonna have a good time they were wearing their best clothes they oh, were like waving to their families on the way off but when they got on the train, it turns out it was going to Auschwitz. So this mm -hmm. is the first group of young ladies that was brought there. And oh, basically, wow. they spent the entirety of the war stuck in the um, concentration camp. And only something like 300 or something got out of there, out of the original 1,000. Like, so yeah. very few. So this is basically the story of this one was taken by, by Heather Dunn. Um, Macadam, she's the author of it. And she did a bunch of extensive interviews with like the uh, ladies who are, some of them are still alive. Wow. Um, with historians who covered that um, Auschwitz and concentration camps very thoroughly. Um, with their family and friends, just every perspective they can get to basically give you an idea of what it was like to like not only be in Auschwitz, but be in Auschwitz for the entirety of World War II. Wow, like the first group. Yeah, like the first ones. Like you don't even know what it is. And like, to survive that is wild. And it's just to think that you're getting on a train to go I to don't. work to help out. Next thing you know, you're there for the next like six years. It's not not cool, dude. And 
we don't need to even get into concentration camps, man. Like you want to talk about the Jacob's worst hot thing. take? Not cool, dude. No, Auschwitz was not cool, dude. I don't even think that's a hot take. I think that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty cold take at this point. I feel like for eighty years, people are like, you know what? Auschwitz not cool, man. Yeah, Jacob, I think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, go check it out if you want to read like a harrowing book and see just how bad like humanity can get if it's let. But how strong these women were. Oh, absolutely. Like the fact that any of them were able to survive is amazing, and the fact that it did it didn't end up in like a mental hospital for the rest of their life just shows how tough they are. Yeah, I know true. I probably would have been just screaming at the wall or something. I don't know how you manage that, but... Okay. Um, the next one I'd like to recommend is The Doctor's Blackwell. How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine by Janice Nymura. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so Elizabeth Blackwell believed from an early age that she was destined for a mission beyond the scope of quote-unquote ordinary womanhood. So though the world at first recoiled, absolutely recoiled, at the notion of a woman studying medicine, her intelligence and, intes- and intensity ultimately won her acceptance of the male medical establishment. So in 1849, she became the first woman in America to receive an MD. Okay. And she was soon joined by her iconic um younger sister Emily who is actually even a more brilliant physician than she was so this is book is exploring the sisters allies their enemies and their enduring partnership and it really presents a story of trial and triumph and together the Blackwells founded the New York um, infirmary for indigent women and children the first hospital staffed entirely by women Nailed it. So from Bristol, Paris, and um, Edinburgh to the rising cities of Antebellum America, this is like a really richly researched biography. Um, and I feel like a new biography because I also haven't heard of these women before. And it celebrates two really complicated pioneers who explored the limits of possibility for women in medicine. And I like that is Elizabeth herself predicted a hundred years hence women will not be what they are now. That's true. And they sure weren't. It's definitely different from eighteen forty nine. We'll give the world that. Yeah. It's it's, it's gotten slightly better. We'll we will admit there's that. been some improvements. Yeah. I, I would definitely take twenty twenty two over eighteen forty nine um, ten um, times out of ten. As 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 a woman, as would I. Well, <laughs> so absolutely, I'm your <laughs> No doubt there. All right, so we're gonna go from uh, Michelle's uplifting tale of women, so we're gonna go oh, you're depressing. Going, you're again. going down again. Yeah, okay, that's okay. kind of what I do. Yeah. So the next one we'll do is the five: the untold lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper by Haley Rubenhold. Wow, interesting. Yeah. yeah so um, this one is a portrait of the five women who were killed by uh, Jack the Ripper. Uh, these women, Polly, Annie, Elizabeth, Catherine, and Mary Jane. So I actually didn't know even know that they had names. I always get them referred to as, like, the victims. Yeah, like, that's actually really sad because I'm like, oh, you no one ever thought of their backstory. No, I mean, you just okay. you think of the killer, but not really them. So these women, they had really nothing in common except they were all killed in the same year, which was 1888, if mm-hmm. anybody didn't remember what that was going on. So they all lived these diverse lives. Some of them were like wrote ballads. One was a coffee house. Um, she like ran one, so she's like a manager there. Another one was living on a country estate. Um, but their killer was never caught, even though, you know, people kind of have an idea who it was. We yeah. never officially know who Jack the Ripper was. Um, and the accepted narrative has kind of been that he kind of went around just killing prostitutes, 
which was kind of what you always hear about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Turns out that's not true. Um, really? So, yeah. So the author, Haley Rubenhold, she uh, decided she was going to go find out what really happened. So she did some research and got into like the tragic lives of these women to bring to light like what it was like to actually be in like England at that time. Because yeah. when people think about it, they kind of only think of like a Charles Dickens or a Queen Victoria-esque. It's not that bad. It's just yeah. a little dirty maybe. But when you get into like the actualities of it, there's like poverty, homelessness, rampant misogyny, which is kind of what plays into the like the thing that would happen with these women that they got all labeled as prostitutes because it wasn't so much that they were prostitutes because they weren't. It was just they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And like the thing of the day was, what are these women doing out after dark? If they're out there, they have to be prostitutes. And also, even if they were prostitutes, here's um, information. Those are human beings. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Those are still people who want to be alive. We are victim shaming the victims here because they had the temerity of going outside and being a woman after dark. And usually trying to like just take care of their business. Yeah. Like like I said, we got like a coffee shop runners and and stuff like that. They have stuff going on, man. So this one is trying to get out the real story and lives of the five women that were the victims of Jack the Ripper and, you know, kind of get into how the guy got away with it, why these women kind of got vilified all this time. That must have been difficult to research. I'd imagine so. I I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff on it, but not that much or else they, you know, confirm that it was the Queen's private surgeon, allegedly. That's how you feel it is. I don't want to get sued, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get in with a libel suit by the Jack the Ripper people. Okay, whew. It's a good thing you put that disclaimer out yeah, there. That's um, what I try to warn everybody ahead of time. The next book I want to talk about is Grandma Gatewood's Walk, the inspiring story of the woman who saved the Appalachian Trail. Okay. It's very exciting by Ben Montgomery. I love stories that you're like, didn't know about this, never thought about this, and I love it. So we have Emma Gatewood. She told her family she was going on a walk. I'm going on a walk. She Forrest Gumped him. <laughs> yes. And she left her small Ohio hometown with a change of clothes and less than $200. And the next anybody heard from her, this farm-reared 67-year-old great-grandmother had walked 800 miles along the 2050-mile Appalachian Trail. Jeez. So by September of 1955, she stood atop Maine's Mount uh, Katahdin, I believe it's called, and sang America the Beautiful and proclaimed, I said I'll do it, and I've done it, (laughs) which I love. That's a pretty badass uh, little name there. Absolutely. So driven by a painful marriage, Grandma Gatewood not only hiked the trail alone, she was the first person, man or woman, to walk it twice and then three times. At the age of 71, she hiked the 2,000-mile Oregon Trail. Um, But the public attention that she brought to the trail is really what was super unprecedented. Her vocal criticism of the lousy and difficult stretches led to bolstered maintenance, and she very likely saved the trail from extinction. So Hmm. the author interviewed surviving family members and hikers that Gatewood met along the trail and unearthed historic newspaper, magazine articles, and was given really full access to her diaries and her trail journals and correspondence. And it's just an interesting book shining light on a subject um, that people don't know about and about you know, one of the most celebrated hiking trails and hikers in America. Yeah, I mean, the Appalachian Trail, that's a super famous hiking thing. Like, I always I know, hear people, I, I always get I curious always about trying it, it but, but then I don't. Yeah, I've hiked like lazy. parts of it, but only because I'm on hikes that happen to, you know, like correlate with it. it. Yeah. So, like, all of a sudden, get more awesome. You're on this. You're like, oh, I'm on the Appalachian Trail. 
I would never. I'm just not fit every, enough. A gift stand every 15 feet. And they're like, buy a Appalachian Trail pair of sandals. <laughs> yeah. get, some, get your Crocs here. But it's uh, it's pretty cool. So check that out. I love. Oh, tough grandmas. Come on. Can't get enough of that. I we mean, love those stories. That's, first of all, that's an amazing achievement, and that's spectacular. I would want to ask why nobody noticed that she was gone <laughs> until she walked grandma? 800 miles. <laughs> do the math on that. Like, that is well, a couple of days, Well, think about it. Man. How do you get a hold of people? She walks out of the house. You don't know where she is. They might have been like, where is grandma? But you can't get a hold of her. She's not calling anybody. Call the police. That's uh, What are they going to do? They're going to go look on a weird trail for uh, grandma hiking. I mean... I, put, I don't know. We have to hear about it all day. Like, now it it's all... like they'd be tracking yeah. your car GPS and your phone. You can't right. go anywhere now. There's but... a missing old lady just wandering about, literally she was like, walking she was like, through the I woods. I know what I'm about. I'm not lost. Yeah. So. She's literally walking <laughs> through the woods <laughs> through another state. But I love it. Still awesome. Still awesome. <laughs> all right. So let's go. Let's go for an uplifting one. Actually, this time let's switch it up a little bit. Ooh. So this one, come fly the world. The jets. The jet. Oh my goodness. The jet <laughs> age story of the women of Pan Am by oh, Julia Cook. Pan Am. So you ever have that moment, Michelle, where you're like, I feel like I am overqualified for my job or that my job has too high of requirements. I'm just going to let you continue reading. Well, <laughs> so listen to these. This was what a requirement to be a stewardess with Pan Am Airlines between 1966 and 1975. Okay. Women were required to have a college degree. Mm-hmm. You were required to speak two languages. Oh. You had to have like political savvy and knowledge to be able to deal <laughs> with the... Uh, with the people on the plane. Wow. All of that where you also have to be between the heights of five foot three and five foot nine. And you cannot, you have to weigh in between oh. 105 and 140 pounds. Holy moly. Not to mention you have to be under the age of 26 <laughs> at the time you are hired. Wow. You didn't have many years to learn these languages no. in political savvy. Not to mention you got to get a college degree in there. Oh, my God. That you is, are busy. Wow. That is wow. a lot going on. Why you needed all that? Who knows? I think it would just be you don't I mind. mean, because flying was fancy. Flying was different. You had more yeah. space. You had like it was classy. Unlike now, they're just shoving the cattle in the cars. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of right about that. Because if you look at those movies at the time, like uh, The Aviator or uh, oh, Catch, you, me Catch Me If You, if you Can, can. You that's get, a big one. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, pilots were looked at like heroes. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, what Grey's Anatomy girl start, got her start in that movie. But, like, it's exactly like they were like big time. That was like the glamour job. Everybody wanted that. Everybody needed to get that. It was that or secretary were like the biggest best jobs you could get at the time and everybody was looking at them um but when you did actually get them you like we said you got probably the most exciting interesting job in the world you got to fly all over the the planet yeah for free on the one of the only major airlines if not the only one at the time that was really doing that you got to see the world you got paid to do it it was like a dream come true for a lot of these people i believe that and yet my sister was a flight attendant and she was like because she was very into travel and she's like yeah i mean it sucks you like get off the plane Mm -hmm. and go to bed and then get on a plane you don't ever like see the city oh (laughs) that's true but i mean this was like in this back then you probably had it might have been different there weren't as many flights you had more time you just you had to have like a 24 hours between flights so your nerves could just relax (laughs) like almost crashing 75 times (laughs) or whatever it was um so author julia cook she like weaves together an intimate look at the real life stories of like this group of 
flight attendants that she decides to focus on. Mm -hmm. They put a big focus actually on their involvement in the Vietnam War, which, you know, was kind of a thing at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, It goes into like the real life stories about how they would be ferrying soldiers back and forth that were on like shore leave. So, they you know, they get a week off, they go to Hong Kong and then they come back. They were talking to soldiers about that. But they especially get into what was Operation Babylift, which was at the end of the Vietnam War, which was the dramatic um, evacuation of 2,000 children during the fall of Saigon. So they didn't wow. get you know murdered when the Viet Cong were taking over the city. Wow. So um, it's something you don't really think about, but it's also a very glamorized part. So go check out Come Fly the World, so kind of see what's going on. I'm interested in that. Try not to have that song stuck in your head for like <laughs> the entire time you're reading it. Also, if I was to be punished for eternity, they would make my job being a flight attendant. Uh, yeah. I can't think of anything worse. Cru- but, I mean, I hate flying. Maybe so. cruise director. That could be That could be worse. Oh, and I'll take a boat over a plane <laughs> any day. Um, okay, so this one, this is a wild story, okay? This is the woman they could not silence, the shocking story of a woman who dared to fight back by Kate Moore. All right, Jacob, picture it here. Now 1860. Okay. As the clash between the states kind of rolls slowly to a boil, we have Elizabeth Packard. She's a housewife and a mother of six, and she's facing her own battle. Her husband of 21 years is plotting against her because he feels increasingly threatened by her intellect, her independence, and her unwillingness to stifle her own thoughts. Okay. How dare she? So he makes a plan to put his wife back in her place, one summer morning, he has her committed to an insane asylum. As you do. I mean, in the horrific conditions inside the Illinois State Hospital in Jacksonville, in Illinois, are overseen by Dr. Andrew McFarland, a man who is going to prove in this story to be even more dangerous to Elizabeth and her disgusting, traitorous husband. But most disturbing is that, of course, as you said, Elizabeth is not the only sane woman confined to the institution. There are many rational, normal women on her ward who tell the same story. They've been committed, not because they needed medical treatment, but to keep them in line. And conveniently, they're labeled crazy so that their voices are ignored. And, I mean, people kind of knew this was happening, but no one was willing to fight for their freedom. Because why would you? If you? They're considered crazy at that time. Like, and you're why like, would you even mm, care? I mean, so they're disenfranchised by both gender and the stigma of supposed madness. So they can't fight for themselves. No. So they're just stuck there. But Elizabeth, um, you know, kind of discovers that the merit of losing everything is that, hey, I have nothing to lose. That's always a positive. So this is the story of the forgotten women who courageously fought, um, and especially of Elizabeth, who fought for her own freedom. And then doing so, she freed millions of more people. Her refusal to be silenced and her ceaseless quest for justice not only challenged the medical science of the day, it led to this giant leap forward in human rights. Um, And I don't know, it kind of like showcased that lesson of sometimes the greatest heroes we have are the ones inside us. And I think that's legit. Oh. And a lot of people are, are experiencing that right now. Could you imagine being stuck in an 1860s insane asylum? Like, Um, oh, my God. I cannot in any way, anyhow, it's so awful. Like, just imagine the worst Lannister dungeon you could think of. And it's probably what we're talking about And no one will listen to you because they tell you you're crazy. And you're like, I'm not crazy. I read a book. And my husband put me here. What do you mean you read a book? (sighs) Ugh. 
There's, what, what do you mean? Women can't read books? That's ridiculous. They don't have the mental capacity. I take my chances with, with Jack the Ripper at this point oh. over being in an insane asylum. At so, least that guy was learned. He had some medical knowledge. I mean, this is why we are supposed to be reading about this stuff this month, everybody. Take advantage of Women's History Month. All right, you want to do one more? We're running out of time. Yeah, we'll bust out a quick one here. A uh, couple. We'll go with uh, The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara. Oh. Heard about this one? No. You heard about this? Heard about this one? <laughs> no. So it uh, covers the life and work of Miller. Millicent Patrick. There's a name you don't hear anymore. Millicent. Millicent bring, yeah. bring that one back. Um, she's actually important because she was one of Disney's first female animators and the only woman in history to create a classic movie monster. So oh. as a teenager, uh, she was thrilled to find out that, uh, well, okay, as a teenager, author Mallory O'Meara was thrilled to discover that one of her favorite uh, movies, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, the mo- she was found out the monster was designed by this Millicent Patrick lady. Oh, okay. The author loved it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, she was a fan of that. So she found out that uh, Millicent Patrick is the one that created the monster. Um, but for somebody who should have been high, hailed as a pioneer, because, you know, if you're the first in something, and especially something as iconic as the creature, yeah. you figure you're going to get some, uh, you know, recognition. But yeah. there was, like, very little information about this lady. So Amira decided, you know, she's going to have to find out what's going on. Surprise, surprise. Patrick's contributions were uh, overshadowed and claimed by a jealous male colleague of hers, and her career was cut short, and she was disappeared from the film industry soon after the creation. What? Someone with ovaries created something good? How dare she? If only they could have locked her up in an insane asylum. <laughs> we're going to do what they did to the Animaniacs. We're going to throw you inside the uh, the water tower up there. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I love that voice, too. We should still be talking about that. <laughs> so basically, nobody even knew if this lady was still alive, which is astounding considering her contributions. So she based, since uh, Omera herself was working in the horror film industry, uh, she wanted to go out and, find, and you know write this wrong and find out what happened to this lady. So, you know, in the process of doing it, she discovered, like, the full fascinating story of an ambitious, artistic woman ahead of her time. Um, Millicent Patrick's contribution to special effects proved to be just the latest chapter in a remarkable, unconventional life, which went from her um, growing up in the shadows of Hearst Castle. It was like, that's what, William Randolph Hearst, then, it would have to be, right? I would imagine. Oh, she's getting some Citizen Kane going on there. <laughs> um, to her career as one of Disney's first female animators, and then she found out where, um, you know, where Patrick went after she got kicked out of the film industry for coming out with a I brilliant mean, imagine idea. what she else she could have created. We could have some really iconic monsters in movies that she would have made, but now we were denied them. Yeah, I mean, because she was. Think about it, guys. Like all those classic movie monsters, creatures were one of the cooler looking ones for sure. Oh, it's definitely. One of the worst movies, but definitely <laughs> yeah, one of the cool, cool coolest creatures. looking creatures. So <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't have uh, uh, what was a Shape of Water without that look too very so. true something we have a best picture winner and a weird thing to talk about at parties it's so. fascinating but yeah like go check it out everyone go get these um contributions from women that were sadly destroyed by us terrible men because it's kind of our thing been doing it forever jacob gets it all right i'll mention this last one um prairie fires the american dreams of laura ingalls wilder I by carolyn name. fraser yeah i mean who doesn't i mean millions of readers of little house on the prairie I think really believed that they knew Laura Ingalls, this pioneer girl who survived blizzards and near starvation on the Great Plains, and the woman who wrote the famous autobiographical books. Mm-hmm. But the true saga of her life has never been told fully. So now the author drawing on unpublished manuscripts, letters, diary, and land and financial records um, 
this Carolyn Fraser, who's actually the editor of the Library of America edition of the Little House series, so she's okay. you know close to it. She is filling in the gaps of Wilder's biography, revealing this grown-up story behind one of the most influential childhood epic of pioneer life. Everyone knows I mean, Little House on the Prairie. As soon as you said it, I actually had the, the theme start going through my head again, which was like nuts to me. I know. So the Little House books, for all the hardships they describe, are just little smidges of the kind of pioneer spirit, um, kind of just portraying like the triumph against all of the odds. But Wilder's real life was harder and grittier than that. A story of relentless struggle, rootlessness, poverty and it was only in her 60s after losing nearly everything in the great depression that she turned to the child till the children's books and then recast her kind of hard scrabbled terrible childhood as like a celebratory vision of homesteading and achieving fame and fortune in the process which is great so it is an astonishing probably maybe the most american astonishing rags to riches story but it's very interesting to learn her real life. This wasn't all like hanging out with Pa and no. having a great life, you know, with the pigs and stuff. It was extremely difficult. And I think that this book will appeal to a lot of people because the Little House series um, is really dear to many. Little House in the Prairie still to this day has my favorite ending. One of my favorite endings to a TV show ever. Did you remember how the show ends? If I, You're not even going to believe the real I, ending of that show. I don't remember. So the last episode... You know, you think of Little House on the Prairie, like you said, we're getting homesteading, we're getting something. The last episode, we're just going to ride around the town and hook dynamite and everything and blow up the entire town. Why'd they blow up the town again? I, they were leaving, so they're like, let's just blow it up on the way. <laughs> they, I mean, there must have been more to it than I'm that sure there was. I don't remember the details. I just remember that <laughs> the end of that show you. is that they blow up the town at Little House on the Prairie. I'm like, well, that I did not see that coming, That's, dude. Like, well, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. It's but, a cool one. Like, they, they knew how to end shows back then, but. All right. Well. Uh, yeah, go check out Little House on the Prairie and get these books on, man. That's a under... Andrew loves Little House on the Prairie. Does he really? Huge fan. He wants me to read them all as an adult, but I'm always like, will I like them? When, when you guys go on hikes, does he make you film him as he runs over a hill <laughs> and runs towards you I <laughs> all mean, the time? I mean, obviously, but I could get into that more, but sadly, we are out of time. Jacob, why don't you plug us up? So do you want to find out the best places to do prairie shots um, throughout time? There's a good place to look up pictures. <laughs> it is here at your local library. We have 37 branches all throughout Erie County. Stop on by and say, I want to get some my women's history on. We'll have a whole area set up for you, so come on by and check it out. Uh, don't also forget to check out our website at www.buffalolib.org. See what kind of programs and activities we got. got go. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm trying to do a Billy Joel song there for a second. <laughs> no, got to go. Okay. <laughs> See what kind of programs we got going on. And uh, don't forget to visit us or um, follow us on Twitter at AllBookedUpPod and let us know what you got going on for Women's History Month. Gaga go, go. Okay, here are some <laughs> facts for you. Do you know women are biologically sensitive to high-pitched noises so that they can hear their offspring even when they're asleep? Mm, I did not know that. Amazing. That is pretty I'm cool. That's a cool, evolu that's a cool evolutionary uh, 
advantage. There. Absolutely. And also, women... that's also like that's why you guys have to like do that. If you're a misogynist, you're like that's why you have to do. We the, also the will wake up diapers. and we can throw an elbow, and then you can wake up. That so explains... it works together. That's why the elbows have the the points. <laughs> there you go. It you, all makes sense. You get it. <laughs> women do get drunk faster than men well, because the female body has less water in its tissue. This is the same reason hmm. that women sweat less than men. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. That is interesting. I, that I did not reason. know. Yeah. Um, and women, you're, you're going to love this, are more rational than men hmm. because of a thicker cerebral cortex. We have a thicker cortex than you. We are more rational. Take it, Jacob. That doesn't We're sound... We're sick of hearing eh, it. I don't know about that. I, I'm going to have to see some more proof. I have to do my own research into yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, men are super rational. They're just attacking places. And this last one, this is my favorite, I think, woman fact ever. Oh, okay. Okay, ladies, you become a part of your maternal lineage before you are even conceived. Okay? Ooh. You're probably wondering how. A female fetus develops all of the eggs she will have in her lifetime before she's even born. Meaning that while your mother was developing within your grandmother, you were developing within your mother. So you have existed within your grandmother's womb in your earliest biological form as an unfertilized egg. So that's your mother, your grandmother, and you, the earliest traces of you, three generations all in the same body. Jeez, Louise. Amazing, and I love it. Cut, cut the cord, ladies. I mean, that explains a lot, but my goodness gracious. Let's get some eat some breathing room here. It's been a while. <laughs> You're such a weirdo. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Celebrate Women's History Month, and we will catch you next time. Bye.